I tell you what, I was, uh, I needed that today because just hearing, uh, you know, the, the song that God is our father, that he's, he is that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Thank you, Jay. And to know that God has a plan for your life and for my life that, you know, don't, don't be like some authors out there where they have ghost writers. Don't let someone else write your story. God writes your story and he is saying things in our life, speaking truths in our life. And the only way we can know those things is to, to be in his word and to, to fellowship one with the other. And as we talk about this series, and I've got one more message next week as we close everything off with the Easter Sunday and this series of extraordinary. And it simply implies this, that we are ordinary people, an ordinary church, an ordinary common everyday folk that comes in contact with, comes in encounter with, an extraordinary God. That's what separates us, guys. That's what sets us apart. That's what makes us great. That's what makes us more than conquerors. Aside from him, we're nothing. In fact, I think that that's something we need to hear a little bit more of because in, a, in the Bible Belt, the good old boy mentality, we kind of suspect that we're a pretty good old guy, a pretty good old gal. And the Bible says that we're not good. None, there's, there's none good, not one, but Jesus. That anything that we have in, in our life that's of good it's because Jesus has placed it there through the redemption process on the cross. And so having said that today, I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 23. I'm going to finish last week's message, and it's entitled Extraordinary Escape. If you look into the scriptures, you realize in the Genesis creation account that God made all things, that he spoke them into existence. Ex nihilo, which means he took nothing and made everything. That he spoke man into existence by the dust of the earth, breathing, breathing life into him. He became a, a living soul. He took a rib and made woman. But after he did all of that, as he's looking around and surveying, he sees the greatness. But in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, he says, In the moment that you eat of this tree, this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Now, at that moment in time, Adam and Eve, you know the story, they ate of the fruit. Now, they did not die at that moment, but a death sentence, hear me, church, was placed upon their life. That was not God's intent. That was not God's plan for man. He decided at that moment that when man was a free moral agent, that he chose to defy God's plan of utopia and life eternal, that at that moment, watch this, the plan was changed in the context for man. Now, we go back into the beginning. We realize that God had a plan for that. He knew before he created you and I that we would fall. So he had a plan of redemption already in place. And his name was Jesus, the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. So, Mark, why did this defy any plan? Because here's the reality. Since that moment that the death sentence entered man by one man, Adam, there was a process that started. There was a momentum that began to take place whereby man would strive to be back in tune with God. That we are wired to worship. We are wired to, to do things as it pertains to God. Why? Because that was the original plan. That's still the plan. It's always been the plan. And that will be in the finality of all things what God is going to do. The Bible says that Jesus was the God of reconciliation. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That in the death process that there is a plan for life. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Say it with me. Saved. Listen, there's not a complication that we need to add to that. That salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of our works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And then in verse 10, it says, And we are created unto Christ unto good works that God had decided before time, what I was talking about a moment ago, that God has a plan for your life. 
He may have a plan for you to sing. He may have a plan for you not to sing. He may have a plan for you to minister to children, to, to maybe minister to adults, to minister to, to the elderly. Whatever the case may be, God's got a plan. And before we can operate in the fullness of that plan as a body, we each have to seek God's heart and say, what's my part in this story? How can I do my part to make the body functional at full capacity? That's when the church becomes extraordinary. Now, in this passage, of course, coming on the the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount, the biggest, longest, greatest discourse that Jesus ever spoke in his earthly ministry, and then in chapter 7, in verse 13, he says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And watch this. I hate to read this, but this is something we need to put our head around. And there are many that will go in by it. It's a wide gate, and many will go that way. Verse 14, because, and here's the reason, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that we lead to life, and there are few who find it. Guys, that's, that's something we need to put our head around in the church today. Watch what he says in the context of what we do with that. In verse 15, beware of false prophets, prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. He told the Pharisees, he said, you look really fine on the outside. You're a whitewashed tomb, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. It's that self-righteousness. It's that spirit of religiosity. It's everything contrary to grace through faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, even so, watch this. In verse 16, I should say, back up one verse. He said, you will know them by their fruits. Speaking of the false prophets, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. Pretty common. A tree cannot, underscore that, bear good, a, I'm sorry, a good tree cannot bad bear bare fruit. Let me say that again. A good, that's a lot of words there. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a... Did I say it right that time? Then stop laughing. (laughs) Youth pastors. Nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not... Watch this, church. Church, you need to hear this. This is a pinnacle point of reference in this passage. This is God's heart. This is what God is saying to you and I today. And he goes on to say, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Not my words, not Northridge. It is God's word. And we have to put our head around this and understand what there is we need to do with it. Verse 20, therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone, verse 21, and Steve and I, we were talking about this last week. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, speaking of the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not? Now watch this. Underscore some words here. Don't miss this. For those of you who are students of the word, listen to the argument as to why they think they deserve to get into heaven. These are the supernatural experiences that we see here on earth. Now I'm not going to get into a theological debate, but I want you to understand something. There is no wonder in why God used these words in explaining what's going on. That we live in a culture today that, guess what? Just because a church has a mega following, just because people are doing some great things on TV, just because they can do their hand like this and all these things things happen in the crowd. Let me tell you something. Be careful. If they're not preaching this word, if there's no fruit of their life, and I'm going to show you that in a moment, based on the spiritual gifts of God, you need to be careful. Listen, everything that has a following is not of God. In fact, watch this. Let let me prove that to you. 
He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not foretold the future? Have we not given a word? And watch what he goes on to say. And cast out demons in your name? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You say that there's, there's people that are not godly that can cast out demons? Watch what he says. And then, and then he said, and done many wonders in your name. That's supernatural. That's miracles. Now, God's a miracle God. How many of you know God still is performing miracles today? How many of you know that? You need to know that. God still heals today. He healed me of Crohn's disease in 1995. It never came back. Do you know why? Because when God does something, he does it to the uttermost. It's settled. If you believe in God for a miracle today, he can do and will do exceedingly abundantly above that which you can ask or think. He is the great physician. If man in medicine has told you this is where it stops, can I tell you, that's where God picks it up. But understand something. He doesn't need me to tell you that. The word of God has already told you that. But let's read on. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, those of you who practice lawlessness or iniquity. Let's pray. Father, today as we open your word, help us to rightly divide this word of truth to make application according to your perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a death sentence. And that death sentence is clear. It doesn't preach good. It's not something we want to put on the front of our our bulletins. But I want to tell you, it's there nonetheless. And we need to realize that if we don't accept Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross, we are doomed. There is two paths of eternity. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. You don't have to like that. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to do anything with it other than understand that it is unequivocally, unapologetically the truth of this book. There are one of two destinations. Now, the Bible says, and I hear people say this, God is a God of love. He would never send anyone to hell. You are exactly right. He doesn't send anyone to hell. Man chooses to walk over his dead yet resurrected body and step into the places of of the pits of hell, a place that the Bible said was never created for you and I, but was created for the demons and Satan himself. If you read Revelation 20, 21 and the finality of all things, we think Satan is this, this huge powerful force. But can I tell you, his days are numbered. He already knows that his destination in the end of all times is gonna be walking right into the lake of fire to be punished right there with those who have walked in his ways. But understand something, that there is a death sentence and we must identify four things. I told you two last week. Number one, you must realize there's a path to destruction. There is a way that you and I can walk and God giving you the right, the free moral agent that you and I are, he will allow you to walk away from him. He will allow you to reject him. Mark, why would a God do that? Because God did not want a bunch of puppets. God wanted people who chose to love him because he what? He first loved us. See, the reason I submit to God today is not because I have to. It's not because it's my job. Oh, no, no, no. That started a long time before I ever became a pastor. It came, it became into my life when I realized I had no hope. And when I realized the world had nothing for me, when I realized I got to the bottom of the bottom. Anybody ever been to the bottom of the bottom? Anybody else besides me? And I'm going to tell you something. When you get down there, there's only one thing you can do, and that's look up. And you realize that the only hope you have in this world is the person of Jesus Christ. There's a path to destruction, but watch this. He says, many will find that way. The word find, I would like to just say that word is interpreted loosely. You don't have to look really hard to find a path to destruction. 
You just start walking and do nothing, and you're going to walk right into a path of destruction. The Bible says that the pride goes before fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. When we get self-righteous and we get prideful and egotistical in our own way and thinking that we have anything to offer God or mankind, we're just going to walk right into the wide gate. And let me say something else about the wide gate. Listen, there's not a lot of clutter there. There's not a lot of difficulty. There's not a lot of confusion. You don't have to work real hard to walk through a wide gate. Why? Because that path is going to be filled by many, many, many people. Secondly, not only the path to destruction, but we also see the path to life. Aren't you glad there's an antithesis of that? There's a life and there's a destruction. It's yours to choose. What do you want? Choose you this day, Joshua said, who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's your choice. God loves you so much, daddies, that he gave you the choice to either lead your family or, or not lead them. But the reality is, is you and I, men, will stand before a holy God and take not only account for what we've done in our own life, but what we've done in the life of our wife. Do we love her the way Christ loved the church in Ephesians 5? Or do we raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? And listen, we will have accountability to that one day. Women same thing. Proverbs 31 speaks of a virtuous woman, not a woman that's running from pillar to post doing a bunch of stuff, but a woman who had care for her household, a woman that wasn't afraid to work, a woman that wasn't afraid to get up in the wee hours of the night. And you know those mamas need a big old hand, guys, so why don't y'all go ahead and give them a hand now because they had those babies. Do you know what? If we were the ones that had to birth these kids, we would end the population. We wouldn't have them. It definitely wouldn't have two of them. Path to life, verse 14 says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way, which leads to life. Underscore that word difficult. Narrow way implies that we are narrow-minded. Mark, are you one of those narrow-minded Christians? You doggone right I am. I believe when Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6 that I am the way, I am the life, and I am the hope. Listen, the truth. There is no man that comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said that. Oh, well, you just think that are you the only ones cornered the market on the truth. No, no, no. I just might be one of the few that just believe this book to be the infallible, inerrant word of God. Here's the cool thing. God cannot change. If you read some of the other books, Book of Mormon says it had over 5,000 changes in its writing since its inception. And, and don't get me started on that. The, the ministry, the religion was started by a 13-year-old boy. How many of y'all have teenagers? Would you want your child, 13, 14 years old, to start a ministry, to start a whole new denomination, write a book? That would be one crazy book, wouldn't it? They don't, oh, anyway, I don't get off on that. Let me give you this real quick. The Path of Life. In Luke's writing, uh, he, there's an encounter with a would-be Christian in Luke chapter 9. And he gives us three things real quickly, just want to underscore these points. When speaking of the, the, the path to life, it's a narrow path. It is a difficult path. There may be some difficulty fitting through that narrow door. And watch this. In, in, in Luke 9, the question was asked, Lord, or, or stated, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. In verse 57, in verse 58, Jesus spoke of life's uncertainties. He says this in 58. Foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Can I tell you something? When you follow Christ and you choose to follow him with your whole life, can I tell you something? Your life is uncertain. You will be asked to step out into great unknown. You will be asked, watch this, to do things that you realize when they're told to you by God that there is no way possible that you can do it. That's exactly the way God wants it. Do you know why? Because then you're called to walk in the comfort and the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. 
Because when he does it in you, you won't get the glory for it. You won't get the accolade. You'll turn it back to him and realize that you have done nothing short of just walked in him. And he deserves all the honor and the glory for it. You see, think of this for a moment. If God didn't expect us to be uncomfortable, why would he have sent the comforter? You see, God is calling the church to get out of the comfort zone, to get out of the places that are comfortable. Listen, comfortable living is complacency. Complacency, if you study the children of Israel, they would would turn to God. God would bless them. They would get comfortable and complacent. They would turn to idols. God would send a judge. They would repent. God would bless them. And the cycle has gone on since the beginning of time. And the reality is the church has walked into that same paradigm that when God is blessing and God is blessing your home and he's blessing your marriage, you get complacent, guys. Wives, we get complacent when our kids are not out of trouble. Listen, we need to be proactive. We need to get on our face before a holy God and thank him every day for what he's doing in our home, what he's doing in our life, that our kids are sitting here today, that they're not in trouble, that they're not strung out on some kind of dope, that they're doing the right things. We need to lift them up and we need to tell them how important they are Tell our wives and our husbands, hey, I love you. Don't wait. Hear me. Don't wait until your parent or some loved one is lying in a casket and you walk past him and say, I wish that I would have said more. You see, today we have to redeem the time. And we got to realize that there is a path to life and it's full of uncertainty. Secondly, Jesus spoke of infinite importance in following him. One guy told him in verse 60, verse 59, he said, let me go back and bury my father. Very, very strange retort Jesus made. Let the dead bury their dead. Look what he said. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. When I read that when I was a younger Christian, I thought, man, how cold is that? That's not a WWJD moment right there. God is saying, let them go bury their own dead. But can I tell you what he's saying? He's saying this. You need to realize that over there where you're talking about going, if I read a little further, his dad wasn't dying. What he was saying was this. Before I follow you, let me go home. Let me spend a little time with the family. Let me wait till my dad. Let me get up some affairs in order, Jesus. And then and only then, I'll follow you. I'll present you with myself. And then I'll follow you. And Jesus is saying, hey, no, 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 you don't understand. If you're a fisherman, drop your nets and follow me. If you're a tax collector, put down your tax books and follow me. If you're a rich man, sell all you have and give it to the poor and follow me. If you want to go and bury your dead, then you go live among them. But if you want to follow me, your infinite purpose has to be me and me alone. It's about Jesus. It's for Jesus. It's always been that way. It'll always be that way. And the path to life, let me tell you something, guys, is very narrow-minded. There's but one way to hope, to life, and his name is Jesus, the end. Thirdly in that, not only uncertainties and infinite importance, but Jesus, listen, if there's one thing I can get you to walk away with here today is you and I need to stay focused. We need to stay focused. I'm I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, but can I tell you something? If they do not win, don't throw nothing at me, okay, Georgia fans. If they don't win an entire game this whole year, I'm still a child of the king. You see, if things don't pan out the way that you... Guys, we place a lot of importance on stuff that has no eternal merit. We do. But watch this. Watch what he said. 
Jesus spoke of the focus when following him. He says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is even fit for the kingdom. If you would have understood that day in the time of sowing and reaping, there would be one who would have been driving a mule and he would have been uh, plowing the furrow and he would have been ready for the seed uh, planters to come behind him. But watch this. If his focus is not straight, they would have to set a point of reference. That's where I'm going to go because anyone knows it's growing a garden. They don't need to be crooked. Why? Because then it makes it harder to tend that very thing that you're working on. That's why today they have GPS and tractors. Guys can go back and throw in, she thinks my tractor's sexy, and GPS will cut the whole thing for them. But back in that time, they had to look, and they had to walk, and they had, well, watch this. The Bible says that if a man, my wife's going, really shouldn't have said that song, but anyway. But she thinks my tractor's sexy. I have a zero turn, and she loves it. But anyway. Sorry, baby. I had just a little moment. But anyway. The Bible's saying that a person who is, watch this, preparing the soul, but they look back at where they've been, what's going to happen is they're going to get off course. You see, God needs the church to be focused. Don't let every wind and wave that comes across your life affect what your eyes are on. You need to hear that again. I don't care who it is. I don't care what it is. There is no next best thing. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that there is nothing new under the sun. Let's go ahead and nail it down. Draw the proverbial line in the sand and say, my eyes are fixed upon him. The Bible says it this way. To fix my eyes on the things above. Taking my cares off of the things below. See, my focus, and please hear me in the right heart in which this is given. My focus is not the church. My focus is not Rush Weekend. My focus is not, hear me, not my wife or my children. My focus is I set my face like flint to the person of Jesus Christ. I am looking at him and him only. If everything else should fall, my eyes have to stay fixed on him. Real quickly. Then thirdly, we got to see the truth from a lie. This is where it crescendos, guys. This is where it all changes. Verse 15 through 20 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. And then he goes on to say, He said, Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Today is Palm Sunday. We are a fickle people. We change with the wind. It's always been that way. It always will be that way. As the band makes their way up, listen to me. 2,000 years ago on this day, Jesus, in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, told his disciples, he said, go into the town and you'll find a, a donkey. He'll be tied up. Go get him there. If anyone asks you what you're doing, you tell them that I am borrowing it. We'll bring it back. Jesus rode on a donkey. Not on a horse, because hear me, the horse would have been indicative of a man of war. Jesus came the first time as a man of peace. Jesus came on a lowly donkey, born a carpenter's son, in an obscure village that no one really cared about. But as he rode that donkey that day into Jerusalem, people began to take off their cloak. They begin to take palm leaves off of the trees and lie them down in front of his entryway, singing Hosanna, which literally translates as God save us. Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. 
and they're singing and they're shouting and they're worshiping and they're pleading and they're believing and they're loving and all of these things. Y'all check it out. Now hear me. Don't miss this. Just stare a hole through me for one moment. Sunday morning, they're shouting Hosanna to the one who came to set them free. God in the flesh. He rode that lowly, peaceful donkey into the city of Jerusalem, just as the prophet Zechariah said that he would. In fulfillment to the prophecy. One, less than one week later, the same people shouted crucify him. Guys, today is the same. Hear me. There are false prophets out there today that are still coming in the name of Jesus. But hear me. The way you can discern if they're of God is the fruits of their life. Galatians 522, you want to know what they are? The fruit of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Go back to the verses that we read in our text. It's not because the guy can preach the house down. It's not because the guy can cast out demons. It's not because he can go over here and say, I can raise this and I can do this. And listen, let me tell you something, guys. The the reality is signs, wonders, and miracles can also follow the people that are of the world and the demonic forces of this world. Go back and read the Exodus account and you'll see that magicians and the spiritual leaders, those were not godly men. They too could throw their staff down and it would turn into a serpent. They can mimic a lot of, or pervert, if you will, a lot of the things that God was doing. But when it came time for God to have a, a contest of who's greater, you or me, guess what? The snake of God on the staff that, that Moses threw down consumed theirs. You see, guys, we got to be on the lookout for the false prophets of this world. We got to be on the lookout for those who are who are looking like sheep, got a beautiful smile, got a beautiful demeanor, got a sincere heart. Do you know that 99% of all serial killers today, as we go back and survey them for the last several hundred years, they're all the same. They're very charismatic, they're very good people, persons, they're people that most people would not be concerned with leaving your children with. But can I tell you something? You will know them by their fruit. The greatest fruit you and I can ever display is the fruit of love. In fact, I think we could sum up the gospel by that one point, love. For God so loved that he gave. Jesus says, the way people will know that you are my disciples is based on how you love. And then finally, there's an illusion of salvation. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Guys, you got to reconcile that in your heart today. Well, Mark, I'm a church member. Mark, I I tithe more than 10%. Mark, I, I witness. Mark, I'm this. I'm a deacon. Mark, I'm a pastor. Mark, I love my family. Mark, and you could categorically go through all of the things. But he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That word knowing is a lot more than a mind knowledge. It's the same Greek word that Mary used when the the angel came to her and says, you're going to have a child, and he's going to be inside of you, and he will be birthed of God, and his name will be Emmanuel. She said, how could this be possible? For I have never known a man. It spoke of an intimacy. 
See, God wants more than all of your stuff. He wants more than all of your accolades. He wants more than popularity. He wants more than all your fame here on this earth. You're not taking it with you. Naked came you into the world. Naked are you going out. The only thing you have is the hope found in Jesus Christ entering into a personal, intimate relationship whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's a term of endearment to know He's my daddy. He loves me. He has my interest at heart. He allows me to come boldly before his throne I don't have to go through an intercessor in the form of a man I can go to him today and I've called on him and he saved me and he redeemed me and I'm not perfect and I still fail him every day but every time I come back to him he just reaches his arms out and he loves on me and he puts once again his robe of righteousness in the ring of authority shoes on my feet indicating he don't want me to sit down there's a work to do there's a work to do church there are people out there that don't know him and we gotta come to him today and say first and foremost reconcile this in your heart am I a child of the king today don't live under the illusion and get that gut punch in all of eternity to say I never knew you depart from me I don't care what you do or what you have done or what you will do if you don't have a right relationship with Jesus Christ you are lost church you're lost Revelation says that you can be a lost church member. You can be baptized in every piece of water this side of Upson County, but that does not make you right with a holy God. You got to know Him. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you know Him today? Do you know Him that way? Do you call Him Daddy? Do you call Him Father? The Bible says that He says, my sheep, they know my voice. They hear my voice. And I am known of them. If you're not sure today, my God, let me just say to you today, today is the day of salvation. Don't you wait another minute. Don't you base your salvation on the good old boy mentality of I'm a pretty good guy. That's a great intention, but guys, that's not going to carry merit in, in heaven. Would you pray with me right now from your heart to God? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Say, God in heaven. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. To forgive my sin. Jesus, will you save me? Be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you until you call me home. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer in faith today, the Bible says you've been born again. You're whosoever. I want you right now without hesitation, without thought, without personal debate. Lift your hand right now. Lift it. Say, I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart. God bless you and you and God bless you. Looking around. Just looking around. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you guys. God bless you. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask some of our folks to come down front, some of our prayer warriors. These folks don't have all the answers, but they'll pray with you. Maybe there's somebody out here today that says, you know, Mark, I'm a child of the King, but I need to rededicate my life to His purpose for me. I need to walk in His will. I want to be the husband that God's called me to be. I want to be the child of the King that God's called me to be. I want to do as God would have me to do. If that's you today, and say, I want to rededicate my life, I want you to lift your hand right now and say,